As a kid, I never dreamed of being a pastor. Um, it just wasn't something that I did or thought about as a kid. Um, I didn't line up my stuffed animals and preach at them. I didn't have visions of myself as a young child preaching to my classmates or friends in Sunday school. Um, I didn't even dress up as the Pope like Moira Rose. And to be honest, it wasn't even something that I said no to. It wasn't something that I thought, oh, I don't want to be a pastor. Because it was something that wasn't even on my radar. Um, there's this great quote by Marion Wright Eldman. She was the past president of the Children's Defense Fund. And she worked tirelessly to ensure that children who are vulnerable had a chance in life, a future. And this quote that she has sticks with me. You can't be what you don't see. I never saw, as a child, a pastor who was a woman. Now, at my Catholic school, there were some nuns. But they were sure not the priests. They were not the ones up front sharing the homily, leading communion. So you can't be what you don't see. Now, I will tell you as a child that I definitely wanted to be a rock star. See, we had one of those books when I was a kid where each grade, my mom would paste a picture. Yes, she pasted a picture in from my school. And then there were questions to answer. What is Mariah want to be? Who are Mariah's friends? Um, what are Mariah's hobbies? So Rockstar was the one that I wanted to be in the second grade. And then I think there was veterinarian and, and who knows what else. I do know that when I was in middle school and they did the career exploration with you, that you could look up different careers and what it took to get there. Um, one of them that I looked up was FBI agent. Um, I think at one point I thought about being an attorney, um, a biologist, a writer, but never a pastor. It never occurred to me to be one because I'd never seen one who looked like me. And even when I said yes to Jesus when I was 16, I never heard the voice of God, i.e. Morgan Freeman, telling me to become a pastor. See, even though I said yes to Jesus at 16, my faith journey was a windy one. And I think about how I got here from that point at 16, and I would have never charted this path. I took so many side roads. I probably backtracked and moved off, off on different tangents at so many different points. But it's amazing when I do look back at how God used so many different people, several people, to shape my story, to shape my faith that it is today. Who I am and who I am becoming in Christ. Now, that faith journey has not been linear, if you got that idea from what I described, how 
just different journeys and tracks I took. You see, I said yes to Jesus at 16, but by the time I was 19, 20, I had wandered away from my faith. I don't have that horror story that we tell Christian kids. Oh, when you go to college, there'll be some professor who just rips you apart and tears down your faith. That wasn't my experience at all. I actually went to a school where my professors were tough. They expected a lot out of me in the classroom, but they were gracious and encouraging to me as a person. There are some of them that I still think back on what an influence they had on me because who they showed me a teacher could be, who a mentor could be. So I didn't have that kind of scary story we like to tell people at times. That wasn't my college experience, and that's not why I kind of walked away from my faith. I walked away from my faith because I didn't have a community. You see, I'd left, I'd moved away, and I'd left behind the church that I was a part of. I had left my community of friends who had you know, supported my faith, my tribe in a way. And I started to have questions. And I wasn't getting good answers. And I'm going to confess here, I was lazy. I really didn't want to wrestle through the questions themselves. The questions became really easy excuses for me to not live my faith. And yes, I had doubts. But I didn't allow those doubts to drive me one way or the other. You know, I didn't wrestle out to, oh, I'm now an atheist. And I didn't wrestle out to, you know what, I've got great answers now. Or I've got great, not certainty, but assurance. No, I just kind of fell out of it in some ways. Now, I still had people in my life who would push at me, who would push at my kind of lame excuses, which were often revolved around people. This was my favorite. It's just, Christians are such hypocrites. They say one thing, they do another. They're so judgmental, which honestly is, is true of a lot of us. I'm probably one of the biggest hypocrites because I don't always line up with my values. But at that point in my 20s, I was so black and white about everything that that was my, I'm not going back to church. I don't need church. I don't need church folk. Now, my sister-in-law was a person who could push at me. And she was fearless in it at times. She's like, why? You, you used to, this used to be so important to you. This used to be a value for you. This used to be who you were. And when I would give my lame excuses, oh, they're hypocrites, it's this, she would look at me and say, that's people, not God. See, I think she knew. I think she knew how much I missed Jesus. That when I allowed myself to quiet down, I would realize that I missed Jesus. But I didn't know how to return. I didn't know how to re-engage that relationship. I didn't know how to overcome my pride and the inertia that had really settled in me. And over the course of the years, I just decided this was who I was going to be. And to change, oh man, I, I, I couldn't do that. 
That meant I would have to take back some of the things I said. That meant I would have to like admit that maybe I was wrong or that I had changed my mind and I certainly wasn't doing that. It would take several years and it would take a health crisis. Not mine, but someone very important to me, my mother. My mother had to have radical heart surgery. Basically, they split her from groin to sternum to repair an aortic aneurysm that if it had burst, as they are wont to do, it would have killed her almost instantly, like it had killed my grandfather. So this was a serious surgery, and it rocked me. And it opened up my eyes to how much I needed God. It jolted me awake in many ways. It gave me that electric shock I needed to move forward and kind of wander my way back into a, a faith community. And see, I wandered into church that would become a home to me. It would be a place where I would actually experience the realness of the gospel. A place where I would experience real gospel community. A place where I felt that I belonged. That I had a place to ask questions. I'd not always get answers from people, but I would get the permission to ask them and do my own work, to engage in my own faith journey with the support and encouragement of others. Now, I had my friend Dave read us. Oops, I'm going backwards. This passage from 1 Thessalonians. I love this verse. This verse has sunk deep into me. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Our lives as well. We loved you not only to preach at you or to tell you about Jesus, but to welcome you into our lives. That is what I experienced there. Now, it didn't happen immediately. You see, I would attend there, and I use that word intentionally. I would attend for months. I would show up on Sunday morning. I would sit in the pew. I would stand up when it was time and shake people's hands. Good morning, good morning. And then I would promptly sit back down until it was time to stand up again and sing. I would soak in the message. I had missed God so much that it was just enough to sit there. And then when it was time to leave, stand up and walk out the door. Now, the pastor had introduced himself to me multiple times. And each time he would come up and he was like, remind me of your name. And I would tell it to him. I got it. Like, the only time he saw me was, you know, the occasional Sunday that I showed up. And I think back on that, and I think that, you know, oh, man, I was kind of lonely and alone in that church. But I really didn't think that I needed friends 
at that church. I had missed God so much, and I had friends elsewhere that didn't really bother me. Until one Sunday. Until one Sunday, I was sitting in my pew, and I heard a message that made me so uncomfortable. Like, you're sitting somewhere, and you start to itch. You start to squirm a little in your seat because what's being said kind of hits you. And the thing is, the pastor was talking about not sin or how awful we were, but he was talking about Christ's invitation to us to serve. To step out of ourselves and reach out to others and to engage in servanthood like Christ. And he was inviting us to serve in the church. And that pull that I felt that Sunday was so uncomfortable and yet familiar. It felt like I did when I was 16 and at a concert and I heard the gospel message and I had to step forward and respond. It's that same pull, but I managed to resist it. You know, at 26, I had a little bit more self-control and I managed to keep it together until the end of service. And this was a traditional church, so they did a kind of a receiving line out the door. Shake your hand. Okay, bye. Oh, little Billy, you're growing so big. Keep moving. Um, and I, as I walked out the door and I shook the pastor's hand, I looked at him and I said, you know what? I really felt a strong pull from your message. I would like to get involved. And I kind of made a little fun of him, like, remind me of your name, but he took the time to stop. You know, there's people waiting. <laughs> he stopped that receiving line, and he looked at me and he said, you work the school, don't you? Would you want to get involved with college students? And I looked him in the eye, and I said, nope. <laughs> I'll work with those buggers every day. <laughs> I supervise 30 to 40 of them. <laughs> I'm involved in so many different organizations advising them. I love them, but I need something different. I need a little variety in my life. And so he said, what about youth? Would you want to work with teenagers? And that struck a chord with me. And he said, why don't you email our new youth minister? Let him know you're interested. He's just moving here. So I went home. I think I waited a week. I, you know, busted out my Hotmail account. I'm dating myself, I know. And I typed up an email to him. And I said, you know, I've, I've worked with teenagers in the past. I've been, you know, a camp counselor. I worked with Boys and Girls Club, you know, when I was in high in college. You know, I, kind of, I almost gave him a resume. It was kind of nerdy, because that's who I am. And that youth pastor emailed me back, asked if we could meet for coffee. So we did. And in the course of the conversation, um, you know, he's just asking me about myself, what's, you know, what's my history, what's my, you know, what do I do? Um, trying to get to know me, and, and he stops, and he looks at me and says, would you like to meet my wife? Like, right now? And I thought, 
Okay. Which, you know, sounds like a great episode of Criminal Minds, doesn't it? But I, I went and I met his wife. And I look back and I think, yeah, this makes sense because they were both new to the area. They had three young children. But his wife, Alicia, and I were about the same age. And no doubt he thought, maybe, maybe this is somebody that would connect with my family, would connect with me. And he was right. She and I became really good friends. And the both of them became lifelines for me in many ways. Sean would end up inviting me into serving. But he was very intentional about it. He would send me to trainings he thought I would enjoy. And because I was young and single, I had the time to do it. Um, but he would also have conversations with me about what it was to, in, in essence, mentor teenagers. And Alicia was just a dear friend. And they invited me into their home so many different times. I got to see how they parented their three boys. They had three under three, which sounds really familiar to me now. They had three boys. God bless them. They're all grown now. And Sean trusted me with a Sunday school class that I fumbled through that year, through lessons I created that I dug out of different devotionals because I didn't know what else to do. You know, my first Sunday school class, one kid showed up. You know what's worse than having zero kids? One kid. Because you've got to make conversation. And teenage boys ain't that conversational. But I muddled through it. Mostly because I'd been encouraged by their trust of me. And through that, I discovered a joy in mentoring and teaching the Word of God. Now, mind you, at this point in my life, I work in a very different field than ministry. But they became critical to my growth and maturity as a Christian. Alicia would become a lifeline to me, as I said, as I navigated my faith as kind of a fish out of water in that church. See, Alicia, this married mom, invited me into her home, into her activities, and as a single woman in my 20s, my, my church really wasn't built for me. I was too old for college students. I was not married or a parent for anybody else to really take notice of me. But they did. And that's kind of how it felt, you know, that I was this fish out of water until I started to get involved. get to know people. You know, I kind of made the initial gesture. But when I think about it, that invitation came from the front, and I responded, and then someone else responded to me and invited me even further into faith. John and Alicia welcomed me into their home, and I can't stress that enough, what it was to be able to go into their home and to just observe life, like dinners and playing with their boys and just 
helping with different things. I had conversations with them about life, my hopes, my dreams, my work. And they shared in turn with me. I watched how they loved each other, how they navigated their relationship at times, and they didn't do it perfectly. They were not saints. Please hear me on that. They were not saints, but they were genuine and authentic people. Sean and Alicia taught me 1 Thessalonians before I ever read it. It would be years later that I would take note of this passage, this verse in particular. It would happen during a conference with people who were leaders in youth ministry. A pastor shared this verse during a breakout session that she was leading. And she didn't really share it as the main teaching. It was more this foundational statement for her of what ministry looks like. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted. Delighted. Think about the things that you delight in doing. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. I fell in love with that passage. I fell in love with the idea that people called by God into relationship with God would love others enough to not only care about their salvation. You know, so it sometimes feels very transactional to me when we just leave it at that, like just get you saved and we're good. No, this was about I care about you because God has asked me to care about you. And I know you now because I've taken the time to know you and I love you. I can look you in the eye and I know who you are and I love you. And I'm willing to share with you what is most precious. The thing I, I can't get more of, really, is my life. I love that. That is just what's transformative to me. And I think it was so transformative to me when I heard that was because I had experienced it. It was a beautiful and is a beautiful way to express the power of the gospel. What it is to love others and to love God. And it is a theme that God has woven into my life. Because Sean and Alicia, they were not the only ones to welcome me into their lives. They were just some of the first. And they did it well. Yes, I responded to the invitation from pastor. Yes, my engagement kind of started the process. But they moved it forward. They moved it into friendship. We would only live in kind of the same area for 18 months. Okay, think about that. Like that's, that's the depth of relationship that formed in 18 months. I'm still friends with them. They showed up at my mom's funeral 10 years later. I mean, this is, these are people that, that know how to love and love well. 
it broke my heart when they moved away. But by the point they left, I was connected into that faith community. They didn't isolate me. They integrated me in a way into the life of that church. And it was through them that I met others, others who would allow this fish out of water, this oddball in their midst, into their lives. There would be others who would make room for me to sit with them at church, who invited me to Bible study, who asked me to lunch after church, who welcomed me into their home. People who loved me enough to share their very lives with me. To invite me into what mattered to them. To allow me into their lives, their families, their friendships. And when I think back, I stumbled as a Christian, to use kind of that rough terminology. I wandered away from my faith because when I left that original church that I was a part of as a teenager, I no longer had a Christian community to support and encourage me. I couldn't be, but I couldn't see. couldn't see what it was to be a Christian, what it was to follow Christ in that next stage of life, until folks invited me in and let me see their faith up close. See, it's not enough to just talk to people about the gospel. Sometimes we have to show them the gospel, to share with them our very lives that have been transformed by the power of God and also let them see the parts that may not be so transformed. To see the realness and the mess. See, that is what Paul is talking about in this whole passage itself, not just simply that final verse. He's talking to the Thessalonians and, and reminding them that when he came to Thessaloniki, that he was running from people who wanted to kill him in Philippi because he was preaching the gospel. That when he showed up in Thessaloniki, he could have just kept his head down, his mouth shut, to be safe. But he loved God too much to do that. And so he began to share the gospel in Thessaloniki. But more importantly, he allowed those he encountered to see him, to see who he was without pretense, without being fake. You see, I don't know if this, you realize this, but as a, a modern audience, we did not invent hypocrisy or manipulation. It is as old as time. And I have no doubt that as Paul walked into that city that there were people who were a little like, mm, what's this guy going to be all about? Is he going to be like the rest of the, the fakes and the frauds who, who talk a good game? who just want our money, who just want power. No. Paul is reminding this church community, you know that we weren't that way. You know that we were authentic. You know that we were real. You know that we cared about you. 
because we demonstrated it time and time again. See, Paul and his friends let the Thessalonians get to know them, to share their lives with them so they could see up close what Christians were like. Not just what they look like, but what they act like. How they do business. How they treat their spouse. How they treat their friends. How they treat their children. By allowing them in, they allowed them to experience faith through them until it became their own. See, when Paul arrived, he didn't know the Thessalonians. He was driven by his love for God to share the gospel in word and action. But as he did so, he came to love those that he shared with. And he described that affection as like a mother with her child. Dearly, gently, honestly. The people who, and there are many now, because I'm no longer young, there are people who invited me into their lives and they were not perfect. They are not perfect. They are far from it. And they would tell you that themselves. I will tell you, I am far from perfect. But the thing is, that's what sells it for me. Is when I can see how sometimes people fall short. Because it makes it more believable because I watch them get back up and try again. I see how they choose to believe again. I see how they choose to believe in the face of hardship. How they choose to care again and again and to love as Christ does. When I get to see that up close, I realize that it is authentic and real, not fake. And in that, I see what I can be because I see Christ in them. And I realize that others see this in me as well. That when I open myself up to others, I allow them to see me. I think that's the hardest part, isn't it, folks? It's to allow people to see us with all our flaws, our failures, our mess up. And I'm not saying that you have to completely divulge everything to everyone. But you got to let some people in. Because that's the only way they see us and they see Christ. See, we think if we just show them Christ, I'll just show them what a good Christian looks like. They don't. They don't see Jesus at work in us because they don't see how he picks us back up. They don't see how he is enough when we are not. That's the only way that people get to see Jesus in us is when we let them see us and him. 
my prayer for us is that may we be bold enough, humble enough to welcome others into seeing us, into seeing the Christ in us.